you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you who are here with us in person. Uh, we're glad that you're here and, and navigated the, uh, the wet weather. We're so thankful for you all being here. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us online and know that whether you're joining us live in person, live online, or watching or listening throughout the week, uh, know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you either showed up this morning or before you turned on your screen. And so we're grateful to be able to dive into God's Word together as we're in our series called Revive. Now, what I want to signal to you is that this series, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you kind of know where we're coming from and what we're talking through. And if you're just joining us or you haven't been with us, I want to welcome you back and want to just give you a little bit of context of where we've been and where we're going with this series. Because what we're looking at here is basing uh, the five weeks of this series on the book and the study by Andy Stanley called Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And he talks about these five different things, and then he starts to list them out, and he talks about them this way. Now, we, because we're in a Revive series, and because I like things that rhyme, we call these things the five to revive. And so the first thing we talked about is practical teaching. And what I want to do, instead of just reviewing what we've done and where we've been as a congregation, what I want to do is share what God is doing in my life in the midst of these things. Because one of the dynamics that happens is that um, very often when you are teaching or you are leading or you're in a position to say, here's where we're going to go, God will stir things and will reveal things to you first so that you can share not just intellectual or not just um, mind knowledge, but actually how has it come to fruition, which is why I never want to be able to preach through sufferings. I don't want to go through it ahead of time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but here's what we talk about is that with practical teaching, the first week you talked about the importance of building your life upon the rock, upon the word of God upon who Jesus is and upon putting them into practice. And so if you're here that week, we had these rocks that we handed out um, at the end that you could put with you, you could put in your pocket, you can put them by your bedside or wherever you have them that you could see and remind yourself today, I want to not just hear God's word, I want to put his words into practice. So I started and I listed out on Luke 6 that there were 12 different items that you could choose from that maybe God would be putting upon your heart to start putting into practice. And so I chose one of them and I prayed for uh, a few people every single day of that week. And there are people that were out of town at the time. It turned out that they came in town. And by the end of the week, we actually, unknowingly that they were going to be there, we ended up spending some time with them and it ended up working out pretty well overall. So not all prayers get answered that quickly. And I recognize that, but I want to encourage you that when we take what God says in his word and we apply it, we will see answers to prayer. We will see fruit. And maybe it doesn't happen within a week, but if we're consistent and we're persistent, we'll be able to see that come to fruition, that God will either do a work on what's around us or he'll do a work within us while we're struggling. And so I want to encourage you with that. Then the next one I talked about was providential relationships last week, the time when God brings people into your life. Maybe it's for a season and maybe it's for life. It's, it's lifelong friends or things like that. And encourage you to, to thank someone or to tag someone. And I saw a few of you did that on Facebook where you just said, hey, I want to thank someone that has been in, uh, instrumental in my walk with Jesus. And that's such a cool thing to be able to pass that encouragement along. Now, 
During that week when I was preparing for providential relationships, I had an opportunity where my cousin Cody, who lives in El Cajon with his family, uh, they invited us to hang out because it was their, spring, their um, winter break was ending. And so we ended up going uh, to Phil's barbecue here and we spent some time together. And then it was last Monday, so I knew I was talking about private disciplines today. And so Cody, this is my cousin Cody, he sends me a text on Monday morning of last week. And he says, hey, I'm going to do um, a group with some other guys in which we start looking at, you know, some more spiritual disciplines and start heart, cutting out things that take away from our time from the Lord. And we can be able to focus more on what God has for us. And so I was thinking about, you know, friends, sometimes I can be a little thick. Sometimes I need a little uh, help from the Lord. And so I think sometimes when it's like, hey, I'm going to preach on private spiritual disciplines. And then my cousin, who God had just brought back into our lives more consistently, says, hey, you want to do a study and, and a group about private spiritual disciplines? Even I can figure out that's something I should lean into. And so we started joining that. And so that's been a really great week so far of, of waking up earlier than expected. Part of it is making sure you get seven hours of sleep, which has been foreign to me for many years. And so just trying to get back into um, connecting with the Lord with different disciplines. And so when we talk about this, these are things that I'm not just standing on a stage telling you about. These are things that God is doing a work in and through me. And I hope that we can go through these journeys together to see how God wants to do a work in and through each of us so that we can have our faith continue to grow, to continue to be revived, and that we can continue to grow into the men and women God has called us to be. Now, Andy Stanley, in that sermon or in that um, series that he talks about, he has a quotation when it talks about when any of us, when we grow in our faith, he says this. When, when people talk about their faith journeys, they often mention learning to pray and, have, and to have a personal devotional time, a regular time set aside in their day to be alone with God. When I first became a Christian in 2003, I remember I would start diving into God's word. I had a prayer time where I would pray and I would have a specific list of all the people I wanted to pray for. And every time, without fail, I would pray for 29 minutes. And it's not because I timed it. It's not because of that. But that was just exactly how long apparently it took for me to pray uh, through all those different requests. And I remember setting that, side, it's that time aside, excuse me, early in the morning and praying for people, and learning God's word, and memorizing scripture, and diving into community, and looking at all these disciplines. And for us, if you were to think about the times when you felt really strong with the Lord, they were probably coinciding with the fact that you were taking time out of your day to be in his word, to be in prayer, not just to pray at God, but to talk to him and listen to him as well. That recognizing that prayer is so often listening more than just talking as well. It's recognized that when we have these moments where we set things aside, we're able to navigate how do we experience God in a real and deep way. And I remember earlier in my faith walk, I had a, a friend who talked about, I'm like, you know, now I started doing prayer. I started doing all those things. And it's like, well, I'm not, you know, now I don't feel it as much. I'm not quite sure. And it was a few months into the relationship with God and, and, she just encouraged me. She's like, well, um, you know, what did you do? Like, are you still doing the same things you did from before? I'm like, yes, but not as much, or it's kind of fallen off a little bit, or I'm not as consistent. And so she encouraged, like, when you're feeling like you're distant from God, do the things you did when you felt close to him. And it allows God to speak to us again. So instead of falling away from disciplines and falling away from time with the Lord, it's carving out time to lean closer. 
So what we're going to talk about today is private disciplines. What are private spiritual disciplines? Why is that important for us? Why do we need that? And then what is it that we're aiming for? And what's the prize that we win in order to, um, at the end of our lives, when we have a relationship with God? So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening on, um, later throughout the week. God, I thank you that each person who hears my voice is someone who loves you, or at least someone that you deeply love, and I pray that they would love you more deeply throughout this time. God, I pray that you would speak so clearly, Lord, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for the way you want to meet with us and the idea that the God who created the heavens and the earth is able to meet with us and wants to have time with us. Lord, may that not be a burden that we feel like we have to do, but may it be a joy that we get to do. And may we be honored that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand, extends that same hand into relationship with us. So Lord, we thank you for who you are. I pray that you would speak now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and we'll, we'll hit on a couple of other verses as well. And I'm, and I'm grabbing a seat today because I know I've got a lot of things uh, to go through, to share, and to be able to di- dive into. And so I'm hoping that we can uh, navigate these things together. Now, let's just jump right into our text as we talk about private disciplines. And to be clear, when we talked about practical teaching in the first week, we kind of gave the, the modifier where it's not just practical teaching, like how to, you know, best clean a house. It's practical biblical teaching, right? So it's focusing on how do we apply biblical teaching to our lives. And so I'm going to add to private disciplines the idea of private spiritual disciplines that we'll learn that other disciplines are important and they're great, but private spiritual disciplines is what we're going to focus on today as it helps us to grow. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24 and 25, say this, Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now I want to keep that up for a moment because when you look at this passage and it continues on to verse 26 and 27, you'll see there's these two ideas that keep playing back and forth with one another. The first is this idea that we want to run the race in order to get the prize. So we run with a purpose, that our walk with God has a purpose. We have to be intentional about what it looks like to follow God. We have a purpose, and then we want to run for the prize. So we look at this idea of purpose, and we look at this idea of running for the prize. So what we're going to ask are things like, what is the purpose, and why do we, have a pur- do we need to be trained purposefully? And then also, what is that prize? So our main point today is this idea that private spiritual disciplines train us to purposefully run for the prize. They train us, that's a key word we're going to unpack in a few moments, private spiritual disciplines train us. They're not have-tos in the sense of you have to do this to be loved by God. No amount of spiritual discipline earns God's love. We've said it before, we'll say it again. We cannot earn God's love. It is a gift. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We can receive it. But then out of the overflow of our love for God and his love for us, we want to carve carve out time to spend with him. 
We want to lean into the relationship in the same way that the relationships that are most important in your life, you want to carve out time to spend with them. So private spiritual disciplines, they train us to purposefully, not aimlessly run, but to purposefully run to win the prize. So let's unpack some of these questions we have together as we look at these things. The first question we have is what are private spiritual disciplines? Now we could list some options we can list what many of them are. We know that prayer is there. We know that diving into God's word and, and being in God's word, memorizing and internalizing, hiding it in your heart. We know that there's fasting. We know that there's giving. We know that there's serving. We know that there are prayers or um, disciplines of celebration, disciplines of solitude, disciplines of Sabbath, disciplines of silence. We, we can think of examples of them and we may hear them and think, oh yeah, that's a discipline. I get it. But what are they? I took a spiritual disciplines class um, at Hope International online. And, and here's one of the books we read gave this definition I thought was helpful from Adele Albert Calhoun. She says, from its beginning, the church linked the desire for more of God to intentional practices. There's that training idea. It's intentional. We carve it out. The desire for more of God to intentional practices, relationships, and experiences. So an experience of going to a church service, that can be a spiritual discipline. The relationships that you have, that you want to find someone that can mentor you, that you can mentor, that you can do life together and be accountable to, those are also parts of spiritual practices. So it's the intentional practices, relationships, and experiences that gave people space in their lives to keep company with Jesus, not to earn love from Jesus, not to make Jesus think that we're good people, but to keep company with him. And these intentional practices, relationships, and experiences we know as spiritual disciplines. Now, and the other one, Marjorie Thompson, she gives a much simpler definition that I think will help us as well. He sa she says this, disciplines are simply practices that train us in faithfulness. So from the beginning of Christendom, the beginning of the church, people wanted to spend time and intentionally take time to be with God, serve him, pray, hear more about him, grow and keep company with him. And these disciplines are things that train us in faithfulness. Now, when we first hear the word discipline, many of us have maybe a more negative connotation to that. And I'm not, I, I was going to show it, but I, but I didn't want to go through all the time. Um, I didn't want to go through all the time. I didn't have enough time to show the graphic. But the idea was that originally disi discipline comes from the word originally discipulus, which means um, a student in Latin, and then it goes to disciplina, which is training, and then in the old French, it becomes this idea of punishment, and so it's one of those where it switches from, hey, this comes from the idea of being a student, of learning, of falling under the training and teaching of someone, to all of a sudden, about the, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but 1200 through 1300, around that time frame, it became punishment to correct people who were falling short of teaching or that training. So when we hear discipline, we often think of it as, hey, you need to discipline your kids, which is important, but that wasn't the initial idea. The initial idea was to be a student and to learn and to fall under the teaching of someone or something. And so when we look at disciplines, they're things that train us. They're practices that train us to learn from God and to fall under his teaching. The word has changed, but the heart is still the same. Now, why do we talk about private spiritual disciplines? 
Because we do some publicly, of course, and that's wonderful. But why do we talk about private spiritual disciplines? Now, Andy Stanley, in his uh, series and in his book, he takes a lot more time out of Matthew chapter 6. And I didn't want to focus too much on that section um, because he lists certain disciplines. And I wanted us to do more of a a 30,000-foot view of disciplines rather than a 10,000 or even a closer view. But what he talks about is he refers to Matthew 6, 1 through 18 as his text. And Matthew 6, 1 says this. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. Some of your translations will say acts of righteousness. In other words, your spiritual practices. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, we still see this dynamic of you still want to be purposeful, but there is a prize or there is a reward at the end of it. But in Matthew chapter 6, then he dives into the, the practices of giving. Jesus, when he's talking about it, he talks about giving, prayer, and fasting. And in both of the, or excuse me, all three of those examples, what he says is, well, the first one, don't let one hand know what the other hand's doing. Therefore, your father who knows what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not pray out like this. Use a bunch of different words and say, go into your prayer closet for your father who knows what you do in secrets will reward you. When you fast, do not make it obvious that you are fasting, but put oil in your hair and, and perfume yourself so that when other people wouldn't know, but your father who knows what is done in secret will reward you. And the reason being is not that you can't pray out in public. It's not that you can't do those things. It's that if we do private, or if we do spiritual disciplines to get the credit from other people, then that is its own reward. We get paid that reward of the the attaboys or the attagirls or the, wow, you're so, you're so holy or, oh, you're so, such a good Christian. And that's nice. But the reward, if it comes from the approval of men, then it means that we're losing out on the reward of God. That we see in Luke chapter 17 when Jesus is giving a parable of of this one where there's a tax collector and then there's a Pharisee. And the Pharisee says, God, I'm so glad. Thank you for not making me like this tax collector. For I fast twice a day and and I give of my time. I love you so much. And then the tax collector just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, The tax collector is the one who has the right heart. Not the one who tries to puff up, but the one whose love for God builds him up. So we do a lot of these in public, yes, but the training we need to do, if we look at 1 Corinthians 9, in order to run the race, that's not the only training you've ever done. You have to train separately. You have to do work behind the scenes. And private disciplines often put our faith on public display. And the way we respond when storms hit and difficulties occur will reflect how much training we've had and will reflect how much we keep our company with Jesus. And so that's why private disciplines, you get your own reward from drawing closer to the Lord rather than getting the attaboys, the attagirls, or the approval of other people. So what are private spiritual disciplines? They are intentional practices that train us in faithfulness to God. Number two, why do we need purposeful training? We've been emphasizing this word purpose several times. Why do we need purposeful training? Why can't it just be every once in a while training? Why can't it be whatever it may be? It's, it's acknowledging that if I wanted to run a marathon, I don't, but if I did, um, 
If I did, then I know I couldn't just show up the day of the marathon and just make it work. Like, that's not going to happen. In fact, I'll share something that I probably, hopefully you guys won't keep me accountable to it. But I've always thought I want to do a triathlon, right? But here's the problem. I hate running, I don't own a bike, and I can't swim. So I'm not there yet. But maybe someday, maybe someday that'll happen. But I bring it up because I can't just show up to a triathlon and be like, hey, can I borrow your bike? Like, you can't, you can't do those things. You need to have training behind the scenes in order to be able to run the race. Now, let's go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 9, and we're going to highlight a different section here to unpack this a little bit. We're going to reread it, but I'm going to jump actually up to verse 25 here. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Let's just stop there. The word everyone who competes um, is, the idea of competes is actually a, a one word in the Greek that um, I'm going to, the, the pronunciation may not be perfect, but it comes from the word agonizomai, agonizomai, excuse me. And if you look at the first part, agonizomai is the idea of agony. It's, it's the idea in the Greek, it talks about being involved in a fight. It talks about navigating and talks about, you know, you're in a tussle, you're in a quarrel, there's a fight and they're strenuous. So when we talk about agony, it's because we've, we're in a lot of either physical pain. I've been uh, doing a few, uh, like, workouts this past week and, and um, one of my daughters loves to say, Dad, I, I like watching you work out. It's, it's kind of funny. And I'm like, I, uh, I mean, it's fine. And then I'm trying to do my, my sit-ups and things like that. And I'm sitting there, and my dog just likes to hover over me and try to lick my face. So I'm like, and I can't even sit up in order to stop him, right? So I'm just like, I'm, and there's times when I'm stretching on a muscle, I'm working things, and I'm just like, oh, it hurts. And Shaylin or Elise will be like, Dada, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm in agony, you know, but just acknowledging it's, it's that pain. It's you, you're in agony. So this is not someone who aimlessly shows up because they want to show up to a race and see how well they could do. This is someone who recognizes that running the race is a fight. It's hard. You're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to experience the blessings of God when you pray and hear answer right away. Or he's not always going to give you the answer you want. We're going to feel lonely. We're going to feel silenced. We're going to feel isolated. We're going to struggle. But in that struggle, Everyone who agonizes, everyone who goes into a race to compete in order to win, knows that before they do that, they have to go into strict training. Not, not aimless training, not haphazard training, intentional, private, strict training. Now, this was written to the, the people in Corinth, and Corinth was known for the Isthmian Games, uh, which was only second to the Olympics in regards to grandeur and size in this time of history. And so this is an example, this is an illustration everyone from Corinth would understand because the athletes, everyone who competes, the agonizomai, all of them would have to go to strict training for 10 months before they'd be able to even get ready for the race. And so they understood this and therefore it was able to relate to them. And they were able to connect and say, oh yeah, no, I've seen athletes walking around and when they are offered wine or fine choice meats, they'll say, no, thank you. I can't do that. I'm, I'm in training. When they're invited to stay out late to the various parties and the various festivals, they might go home early and say, you know what? No, I, I can't do that. I'm in training. And training became what helped them to face their prize, to run for the prize with purpose. Now, we all know that, 
like I mentioned, walking with God, our running the race of life is not always easy. We're going to hit hard times. So what do we do? Here's, here's three things that we want to navigate really quickly. How do we respond when running, running the race of life becomes difficult? How do we respond? So the first one we might do is we might hardly try, which leads to laziness. Friends, this is the example when we think following God is hard. Waking up early or, or staying up late to do a nightly prayer is hard. Finding time to join a small group or to be in a relationship that feeds my faith is hard. This season of life, I can't do that because it's hard. And there are different seasons. There are certain things you can do when you're empty nester time-wise that you can't do when you have young kids. So this isn't a guilt trip. The idea is saying, what can you do? And will you intentionally do it? But sometimes we fall into this idea, we're just going to hardly try. We're not, we, and it leads to laziness in our faith. Maybe some of us have the wrong assumption that by loving Jesus, we don't need to work hard or to try or do any effort in order to follow God. We just think, well, God will give us, he'll meet me where I am. And we think like the Romans, we talk about, well, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace may abound all the more? And Romans 6.1, Paul says, by all means, no. We don't just get to receive the grace without any cost because it costs Jesus everything. It's not a cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about. It's a costly grace. Dallas Willard, I quoted this a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to put it out there on the slide so we can look at it. It's this idea that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So we need to try and grow and train ourselves in ways of righteousness. We need to train ourselves to be able to set aside time intentionally to have practices that help us to keep company with Jesus. We need to train ourselves to be ready for the race because friends, unlike the Isthmian games when you have the date on the calendar and you know when 10 months prior happens and you know the training that needs to take place, we don't know when our tests will come. We don't know when we're going to get that phone call that tells us about a health scare. We don't know when there's an accident or a tragedy around the corner. We don't know when friends will fall away. We don't know these things. So we don't have a date marked on our calendar and say, Lord, if you can get, put my trial on April 3rd, that would be really helpful. I could be ready by then. We don't know when it's coming. So we train now for the race we do not know when. We train now for the race that will last our entire lives, but we do not know when the test will occur. So we need to not have an, F, an idea or an attitude of, well, I'm training because I need to earn God's love. No, you're training because you want to show God how precious he is to you and how much you love him to lean into the relationship with him so that when, not if, when the trials come, you are closer to him and you run with him rather than run from him. And if we have the attitude that, hey, I'm not going to do any work because I'm, I live by grace. That's an attitude of thinking, I don't need to have effort. We're called to work out our fear, or excuse me, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Forgive me. We're called to put effort in. We're called to pray. We're called to fast. We're called to give. We're called to serve. We're called to have times of rest. We're called to do these things, not for the sake of getting a checkbox, but for the sake of letting God check our hearts because we're keeping company with him. 
Andy Stanley talks about this way. What happens when we hardly try is we get to laziness. And what happens is abandoning these types of disciplines leaves God at the periphery of our lives. Without a show of hands, I'm not trying to... Haven't we all experienced that sometimes? If we're not intentional about making God the center, the natural flow of our lives and of our world is to push him to the periphery. Abandoning such disciplines leaves God at the periphery of our lives. Regularly practicing them, however, draws us into a closer, more intimate, more dependent relationship with our Heavenly Father. For those of us who know and love Jesus and we're on that journey together, if you were to say, hey, this year, how would you want your relationship with God to be? Well, I would love for it to be closer, more intimate, and for, more, for me to be more dependent upon him. I would love to be closer than I've ever been. But that doesn't happen when we just hardly try. We can't just show up to the race and expect to win. So not only is there one idea where we might hardly try, here's the opposite side, which is equally as difficult and equally um, not as helpful. And it's not hardly try, but we try hard. We grit our teeth and we grin and we're just like, we're going to get through this. And this leads to loss. You lose the race when we try hard. Now, let's unpack why that is. Let's look at the, the, we'll revisit, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. This is 26 through 27, so this is the next couple verses. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I, I don't just try and exert my effort without purpose. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's saying, this idea of running aimlessly, could you imagine if I'm, I'm going to race somebody and say, okay, we're going to race from here down the driveway and back, which I probably wouldn't make it. That's okay. But let's just say we do that and we say, on the count of three, go, and we run. But if the person I'm racing, imagine they run down and they go towards the driveway and back, and I just run from side to side the whole time. Would that help me in my race? No. Would I be tired? Yeah but I'd be running aimlessly. Or if I just started running around in circles, will I be tired? Yes. Will I feel like I've put forth effort? Yes. Well, can I say I tried? Yeah, I tried. I mean, I ran a lot. But without the purpose, without the clarity, without the direction, I run aimlessly. I do not beat, like, uh, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. That's either one of two things. That's either the idea of shadow boxing that they talk about where you're practicing or it's the idea of you're not in a battle and you're not just completely, if the opponent's here and you're not just randomly punching in a direction that's completely not where your opponent is. It's saying we have to intentionally lean into that. But we could exert effort and still miss out on keeping company with Jesus. We can try so hard to, to just, oh, I have to do these spiritual disciplines that we could do them. And we could either become people who get so legalistic that we think that it's from the actions of our own self that we're able to be right with God. We become like modern day Pharisees where we say, God, thank you that I'm not like these other sinners because I fast and I give and I pray. So we could run that route and we could try so hard or we could become bitter with God because we say, we've done all the right things, Lord. Like the older son in Luke 15 in the prodigal son passage, where he says, I've done everything you've asked me to do, but you never even gave me a young kid, a young goat kid in order to celebrate with my friends. Because he was doing all the right things without the right heart, 
and the younger son was doing all the wrong things, but he came back with a repentant heart. And as we've discussed previously in this passage when we've done that is the pattern of Luke 15 shows us the one who's truly lost is not the younger son who came back. Because the pattern of that passage is something is lost, the one who's lost it goes out to find it and then celebrates. Luke 15, when it comes to the two sons, it's the idea that the son comes back, but the father doesn't go out looking for him. He keeps an eye out for him. So when he sees him, he runs to him, but he doesn't pursue him the way that the shepherd does in the beginning of the lost sheep and the way that the woman does when she's lost her coin in Luke 15. The only one that is pursued is the oldest son. The oldest son who tries to do everything on their own and to earn it on their own That's the one that's lost because he doesn't see he has a relationship with the father readily available. He just says, look at all the things I've done. You should give me credit. So let's unpack this a little bit because we might want to say, okay, we just got to grit. We have to to get through this and experience, you know, we just need stronger willpower. Have you ever had this idea like, I I know I need to do things. I just need to try harder. Now, uh, I'm going to real briefly share a story. I've shared it before, but it's from um, Frog and Toad, from the Frog and Toad stories. And one of them is called Cookies. And the idea is that they have cookies and they think to themselves, you know, these cookies are really good. We need to stop eating them. Let's go ahead. And, and I resonate with this deeply on a soul level. And so it says this. He says, we must stop eating, cried Toad, as he ate another. I'm like, preach. And so, yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower? Asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying not to eat all these cookies, asked Toad? Right, said Frog. And so what they do is that we need willpower. I know what will give us willpower. Let's put our cookies in a box. That way we won't get to them. And then they're like, well, we could just open the box. Frog's like, you're right. Frog says, well, let's tie a ribbon over the box so that we can't get to them easily. And Toad's like, well, we could just cut the ribbon. And they're doing this while they're discussing and eating cookies, right? You're right. Frog's like, well, why don't I put it high up on a fridge or high up on a shelf that we can't reach it? Toad's like, well, we could just get a ladder and, and get that. He's like, you're right. So then Frog, after going through this and eating more and more cookies, he grabs the box of cookies, walks outside of the home, throws the cookies out and says, hey, birds, here are some cookies. And Toad's like, why did you do that? He's like, well, now we have lots of willpower. Yeah, but, and then Toad says, You can keep your willpower. I'm going to go home and bake a cake. And let me me, me take that example. We want willpower, but let me flip the example a little bit. What if instead of this idea of willpower being, we must stop eating, what if it was this? As Christians, I must start praying. I, I have to start praying. Or... I have to spend more time in God's word. I just, I need to do it. I just, I have to do it. It's so important. I know it's important. The pastor's going to tell me it's important. He's going to ask how things are going. I need to do this. He said, well, we, you need more willpower. What if someone were to tell you that? And then what if they define willpower not as trying hard not to do something you really want to do? What if it's willpower in our context is, well, you need to try really hard to do something that's hard for you. Maybe you don't want to pray, and you won't tell other people around you. Like, I don't, I'm scared to have times of silence before God. What will I do? What if he actually talks back? What will that be like? And so what if this is a flipped example where it's willpower is trying, where I have to do something that I don't want to do, or I'm not comfortable doing. But 
we try hard, and that, that can be commendable. We, we want to try. It's better to try than to not. However, as John Orberg writes in The Life You've Always Wanted, a book about spiritual disciplines, he says this, that trying hard can accomplish only so much. If you are serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime, you will have to enter into a life of training. Let's go to the next slide. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. So setting aside training is not saying I'm going to earn by trying hard. It's saying I'm going to surround myself with, with things that I can do that can allow me to keep company with Jesus. I don't know when my test is going to come, so I'm going to privately experience these spiritual disciplines to be ready for whatever storm I will face and run I'll have to race, a race I'll have to run. And then I'm saying I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I'm not just going to go, oh, I have to do it because it's, I don't want to do it. It's changing our mindset from not trying to training. This is how, uh, let's go to the next slide here. The last one. How do we respond when running becomes difficult? We can hardly try. We can try hard. Or we could train wisely, which leads to our liberation. If we don't want laziness in our walk with God, we don't want to lose out on the race because we're running aimlessly and we're not actually running the race God's called us to. But we want to be free then we train wisely. John Orberg, in that same book, he says this. He says, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. It's not a matter of trying harder. It's not gritting our teeth more. It's about training wisely. It's creating practices, intentional, private, spiritual disciplines that will structure our lives so that when we do them, we are leaning into who God has made us. Craig Rochelle continues this. He says it this way. He says, I'm choosing what I want most over what I want now. My first morning waking up even earlier than normal this past week, I'm like, ah, oh, man, snooze sounds so great right now. And I was studying this, this sermon, and the verse that came up, excuse me, the quote that came up was, I want to choose what I want most to be closer to God over what I want now, which is more sleep. I'm choosing what I want most over what I want now. He said, I'm not trying to become something different. I'm not like, like, like a tadpole trying to become a frog. I'm training to become more of who God already said I am. You are called, if we, have the, if we have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit lives inside you, we ought to be people who have the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That ought to be who we are. And yet, if we hardly try, which leads to laziness, or we try too hard, which leads to us losing the race, we're not going to experience those things. We're not going to become who God has called us to become. So this isn't about earning your salvation, but it's about training to become the godly man or the godly woman that you are called to be. And Andy Stanley closes with this idea. He says, disciplines bring progress and eventually results in freedom. Freedom from addictions, freedom from laziness, freedom from things that hold you back results in freedom. Discipline means doing now what you don't like so that you can later do what you do like. So you might say, I, I need to save, we need to save money as a family now. So you might say, all right, I would like to eat out more often, but I'm going to say no to that now so that when we're older, we could go on a vacation. Or I would like to be able to, I mean, whatever it is for you, it's, discipline means doing now what you don't like 
so that you can do later what you do like. So it's given an illustration. Again, this comes from, this quote comes from Richard Foster, but this illustration I'm about to come give also comes from John Ortberg's book. Richard Foster says this. He says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace, not earning his love, receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So John Ortberg in his book, he talks about how many of us, when we try hard, and we're trying to have spiritual disciplines, and we're trying to earn God's love, and we're trying to do these things with God, that it's often like trying to drive a motorboat, where the motorboat, it's, it's all in your hands. You're the one that fills up the tank of gas. You're the one that has the direction. You're the one that can determine speed, direction, all those different things. And so when, if we try hard, it's like a motorboat, where we feel like we are in control. But he says that, when we try to align ourselves with where God is working, it's more like having a sailboat. You're still responsible for knowing what the winds are like. You're still responsible to see where is the wind going. In our lives, you're still responsible to where is God moving me? And am I aligning myself and am I putting myself in a position so that when God is breathing his life around me, I am in position and I've set sail to catch where he is leading me. There's still effort Drive, ride, or, you know, navigating a sailboat is not easy. And it's, but it's also not in our control. We put ourselves in the position to see how God is going to move. So if we try really hard, it's like a motorboat. We're in control. We want that to be the way we want it. If we train wisely, it's like we have a sailboat. And then it's, you know, we're, we're leaning into where God is, is guiding us. And if we hardly try... It's like we're dressed up like a captain who has no boat. And you say, oh, I look like I'm a sailor. I look like I'm doing that. But I don't have a boat. I just have the costume. Friends, we want to be people who are leaning into where God is working. John chapter 3, Jesus says it this way. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Could you imagine if I were to come up here this week, and, and it's not because I have it figured out, but it's because in this case, God was so clear I got it right. Could you imagine if I said, oh man, my cousin, he shared with me this opportunity to do some spiritual disciplines with a group and to be able to dive in. But I, you know, I just didn't think it was that important. But let me preach to you about private spiritual disciplines and how important they are. There'd be a disconnect, Right? It's being able to see where and how is God moving and how can I best do my work behind the scenes to lean into the spirit of God. If he's guiding me in this direction when it comes to different spiritual disciplines, let's lean into that and guide and let him fill up our sail. So he's the one determining the direction. He's the one determining the, the, the speed. We are the ones who are just saying, God, do with me what you will. Guide me where you want to take me. Show me how to become more like you. So with our last couple minutes together, we have this question. What's the prize? What is it that we're doing this all for? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25, at the very end of it, it gives this idea. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, but they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The Isthmian games, if you won a, a prize, if you won the crown, it was either made of pine or olive and other ones, uh, in other areas that had different, um, oh no, I'm sorry, it was pine, and the Isthmian games also had celery. And I'm like, 
the only way to have celery is slathered in peanut butter. Like, there's no other way that I want that. And even then, I'm not a big fan. But it's this idea of those are things that will fade away. But we do it to gain a crown that is imperishable, that will not fade. David E. Garland says this, If athletes discipline themselves with rigorous training to prepare themselves to win a perishable crown, how much more should Christians discipline themselves to win an imperishable crown? How much more should we work than the athletes who work really hard and take 10 months of training? How much more? They're doing it for a crown that's going to fade away. How much more do we train and disciple, or excuse me, train and have disciplines so that we could purposefully run for the prize? The crown is described as Paul at the end of his life. He writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I fought the good fight. Remember, I, be, I do not beat... I do not box like I'm one who's shadow boxing. I do not beat box as one who beats the air. I finish the race. I run as if to win the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That we will receive crowns, and then it talks about in Revelations, that friends, we, the crowns that we receive, when we see Jesus on the throne, we cast down our crowns in worship. But the crown we receive is not just so that we can win a race here. It's for our entire lives. It's for what happens um, here and then also beyond. First Timothy 4, 7, 8. This word's confusing because 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8. 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. But 1 Timothy says this. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. But godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Training ourselves to be godly men or women has blessing here, but allows us to have in the life to come the crown that we receive is said, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then we collectively will cast down our crowns and worship to Jesus. So, as we close here, A.W. Tozer has this last quotation I want to share with you. Let any man or woman turn to God in earnest. Let him begin to exercise himself with godliness. Let him seek to develop his powers of spiritual receptivity by trust and obedience and humility. And the results will exceed anything he may have hoped in his leaner and weaker days. If you feel like right now your faith is lean and weak, you're struggling, you're either hardly trying or you're trying so hard, but your faith is not growing because you're trying to control everything yourself. Then start leaning into God. Start seeing God, where might you be moving? And here are two resources I want you to, I mentioned them both already. Or I mentioned the first one, John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. And the Richard Foster quotes come from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. I would say the, the John Ortberg book is probably a little bit more um, easily, easy to read uh, and maybe a little bit easier of an introduction uh, Celebration of Discipline is a classic that's been around for decades that has 12 different disciplines that um, he encourages us to, to try and to lean into and to navigate so that we can earn God's love? No. So that we could look good in front of other people? No. But private spiritual disciplines train us to purposefully run for the prize. Purpose, prize. Purpose, prize. Let's 
train ourselves to become who God has called us to become. Do so with purpose so that we could win the crown of righteousness as our prize. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our um, sermon today, God, and I pray that you, were, you would just speak in a clear way of, Lord, I pray that it's abundantly clear that these disciplines are not something where we ought to leave this place feeling down and feeling like, oh, I, I haven't done enough to earn God's love. Lord, we thank you that your gift is a gift so that no one can boast. But instead, God, may you stir within us the desire to train to become who you've called us to become. That we don't know when our tests are coming or when our race needs to be run, when the, when the difficult times of that race will happen. So, Lord, we train in private to be able to glorify you and to put our faith in you on public display when it comes to that. And Lord, I pray that you would speak now, Holy Spirit, to each and every one of us about which disciplines we ought to do or whether that one of those books is what we want to look into. But God, may we not just hear what we're talking about, Lord. May we put it into action. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.